0: Now back into the show.
1: Well, say hey, I'll, you know you can make, you know, a million dollars a year, or whatever in real estate, and but but how do you really do that? How do you really get there, right? And I think that's such a missing gap a lot of times. So one of the things we do with a lot of our students is do that. We go through and we actually show them these four pillars and we make them do it and then we say okay now let's reverse engineer that how do we really get there what does that KPI look like what is you know what what you know what is the actions that we're going to have to take to receive this particular result
0: Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jerry Green. Now get this, Jerry started his real estate investment career way back in 1994 after going through a big bankruptcy. He began by wholesaling properties, then he merged into fix and flipping. And since that time, he has completed over 3,000 deals, including fix and flips, multifamily rentals, and commercial real estate properties. Now, he's also realized there's a big difference between just being a real estate investor and actually running a profitable real estate investment business. And after multiple, failures, millions of dollars lost, and mistakes made, and through a personal tragedy, which I'm sure we're going to find a lot more about that, he was able to truly build a scalable business, and he was able to remove himself in the operations at the same time. He now works and spends a lot of time teaching others about removing themselves from the day to day, and that's what he's most passionate about, and I'm really excited and pumped to have him on the show today to share his incredible wealth of knowledge, been going since 1994, but enough out of me. Let's get him out here. G'day Jerry, welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate?
1: Okay, great. Thank you, Reed. Appreciate it, my man. Mate, well Glad it's to be good here. to
0: it's good to it's good to connect with other folks that, you know, I was as I was saying a little bit in the green room, you know, about just removing yourself from the day-to-day. A lot of oh, people yes. who listen, who listen to this show, people who you talk to day in, day out sole entrepreneurs they they into the real estate business because they want more. And so I'm just gonna sort of bookend that and we'll get back into this conversation, but that's sort of what the conversation is going to be about today for all my listeners out there. But before we get into those meat and potatoes mate because I'm really excited to to talk about that, it gives me juices talking about that sort of stuff. Can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid?
1: Oh first dollar as a kid <laughs> i I remember um, actually, this is and this kind of dates me on things. But it was working uh, a paper route, delivering papers. And I'm not sure if a lot of users on here or viewers on here will remember that. But anybody that's a little older knows what I'm talking about. But people used to get newspapers delivered to their home. And that was one of the first things I ever did to make money like that. (laughs) Awesome, awesome stuff. Well, walk us through
0: the journey, right? I mentioned 1994. You started this. This is this is you. Know, you I don't think I was. In, I must have been in year five in nineteen ninety four. Like you know, grade five. So, how did you get started? Was there a
1: life before real estate? Yeah, you know, that, yeah. That,
0: that, that 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 sort of got you to the point where you said I've had enough of this and I want to get into involved in real estate investing.
1: Absolutely. So, Reed I you know I take this back. You know, twenty nine years now, which is hard to believe, but it's yeah, it's snapped by just like that. But I think about this and. And going back in there, and I was living in uh, Springfield, Ohio at that time. Currently, I live actually in a Dayton, Ohio area, um, just a small community called Germantown, which is uh, a little over an hour away from that. But when I lived over in Springfield at that time. I was actually, uh, as I I had been working in electrical contracting business with my father. And prior to that, I was actually in the U.S. Air Force. For a period of time, got out and decided, hey, I want to get in business with my dad. He had a business already established, so I jumped into that with him, and we really just started growing that a little bit more. And we, you know, we were a small mom and pop operation. We'd done a lot of work for general contractors. We'd done a lot of work for homeowners, but big percentage of our work was for like small commercial work. So we done a lot of work for like they say these GCs and. One day, it was on a Sunday night, I still remember this so well, I had a call come in at home. And you got to remember back then, we didn't have the cell phones, This was the good old wall phones, right? <laughs> so phone rings, I walk over, answer the phone, and a gentleman I know who owned this con- uh, construction company called me up and he said, hey, Jerry, I- I'm calling you tonight on Sunday to let you know we are closing our doors to our company and I wanted to give him an advance notice. I like, go, oh, my God. You know, it's like, when are you closing? And he says, tomorrow morning. <laughs> so he wanted to give me an advance notice. So he closes doors. But the problem was he owed us a big chunk of money. And he came back in the 90s. He owed us, it was probably close to 65, $70,000. And he just told us that he wasn't going to be able to pay us on that. From that read, I, I try to make things happen, but we just a very small business. We we're not able to recover from that. So next thing you know, we were put in possession, and where I had to file bankruptcy and really try to figure out what to do next. Well, during that whole time all this was going on, I also was starting to get some interest in real estate. And the reason I started doing that was there was actually a TV commercial that was playing about a seminar being held in Cincinnati, Ohio. And back then, the only way you would find out that stuff is either television or newspaper. That was it. So I made a commitment to go to that three-day training. And this is a gentleman named uh, Charles Gibbons. Very few people have heard of him. And he's since passed away, but he kind of built out a pretty good organization. So I went to that um, event and listened to him tell me about different ways they make money in real estate, buying and holding, fixing and flipping. And one thing that caught my ear was this a cool thing called the signing contracts. And I thought, wow, wow this is, sounds really neat. Because I knew it could be, create money right now. And, and you got to remember, I was in a position, I had no work, I had no job, and business had failed. So I was like, I had to do something for my family. So what I did is I got in a position where I came back from that training. I said, man, I'm going to make this happen. And I actually end up borrowing my, the credit cards from my mom and dad. And I end up hiring a mentor from that event read. And it cost me 10,000 bucks and I had to figure out how to make it happen. So I ended up, started doing that. And then next thing you know, what I started really focusing on was uh, what I call, you know, I, I like to call it chunk money. Money coming in chunks very quickly because I had something called monthly bills, which a lot of viewers here, very uh very well know what i mean on that you gotta you got to take care of today's obligations so i started hammering on wholesaling we started doing deals here we pick up 1500 bucks and next thing i you know i said well if i can do that can i do 2500 and it has continued to grow so i built this little machine up of wholesaling properties well next thing i you know i was in a position i thought wow you know if i'm wholesaling these why couldn't i rehab these why couldn't i go ahead and do that you know, think about it. My whole background was in, in doing a lot of r- fix and flips, anyways. So, what I did on that, I, I basically decided, well, I'm going to get into the rehab business. I built up a little money from wholesaling, but not much. And so, I thought, well, how am I going to get the capital? So, basically, I just went out there and started talking to people. And I actually went to, I'll never forget this, went to a little meeting. It was over by the Dayton International Airport. And went to this little investor meeting. I got up in front of the room, literally with a flip chart. And I get up and I'll say, look, I know how to find the deals. I know how to do all this other stuff, rehabbing them. I know how to market them, get them sold. I need capital. So basically what I want you to do is fund my deal and then shut up and uh, and wait for a bigger check. (laughs) And that's pretty well what it came down to. And that's how I got my first private lender. It was right from there. So that started that, and I started building that side of things. It was actually a a physician that was one of my first investors like that. And I continued to grow that side of things and built this machine up of uh, fixing and flipping. And I continued to grow that and doing some wholesaling as well. And then started buying some properties to hold uh, in that time period. But I really was doing a lot of fix and flip during that time read. And then this was um, a period of time where I was moving into the late 90s. And it was just rolling into the year two thousand. My wife and I, at that time, we were living in Springfield. We were working out of our home, and we, you know, we were like really pumped. We were written up in the local paper, you know, and we were kind of like on, on top of the world. And we went from bankruptcy to the point where, at that time, we were building a brand new home. So it was really cool. A lot of things were happening. And then we found out that we were having a baby and we were super pumped. And we we're like, okay, we're gonna have a baby together. And and then within oh it was about six months or so into her pregnancy, we noticed some um, you know, she started having some problems, and we, we started making several trips to the emergency room, and we're like, you know, what's going on? And within a very about oh, about two or three times going there, they said, you know, we're gonna admit her. And then within probably a couple of days, we're going to induce labor, and this was several months early. So, my son was born, uh, and he was born, you know, like I say, a little premature. But the doctor, I'll never, still never forget it. He says, "I think your son's going to be fine." He says, "I'm really concerned about your wife," and he says, "I'm going to take her down for a scan because they couldn't do the CT scan while the baby was still in." So immediately took her down for a CT scan, and. Within about two hours after the our son was born, they came back up and let us know that they found a massive tumor in my wife's kidneys at that moment in time, within about two hours of my son being born reading. Unbelievable. And it wow. was just, you think about it, we, here we were up here, and then boom, like this in a couple hours. And just you know, the fast forward a little bit, guys, we, we started doing lots of tests, and within a several days, we found out that it was malignant cancer. It was um, it was called Wilms tumor, which is generally found in kids by age five. And they said the tumor was like the size of a football. And wow. it was just like, yeah, it was a miracle my son was even born, they said. And it, it was just unbelievable. And then fast forward a little bit more, and we ended up going through a major surgery that she had to have done over in Columbus and she actually was treated at a children's hospital because it was a childhood cancer, even though she was an adult patient. And the surgery was something we thought would be three or four hours, ended up being 14 hours long. The tumor had protruded in a lot of different areas, and um, they did get it all, but they also had to remove her kidneys completely. So at that moment in time, she was completely dependent on dialysis. And so we were like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And, you know, I thought, well, we can get her out of the hospital, hopefully in two or three weeks and read. It was a complication started uh, setting in place. And I end up uh, she actually ended up being in a hospital for four months straight. And I ended up moving wow. out of her brand new home. And I lived in the Ronald McDonald house in Columbus to take care of her during that time. We did get her home finally. We were there through, clear through the, uh, the following year and t- we were there at the Christmas and everything else. Got home, she was bedridden. It was, you know, my focus was really dialysis three times a week and radiation treatments the other days. And that's what I was doing, taking care of her like that. And within uh, about a month or so after being home, we had another uh, CT scan done and you know uh, with you know we just want to make sure everything was clear and then they told us that the cancer had reoccurred mm-hmm. and it was in multiple areas and uh they told us to call in hospice and um, my my first wife passed away 10 mm-hmm. months after my little boy was born mm-hmm. and we've been married um, for over 12 years dated in high school and uh you know it was like she worked with me in the business uh you know life partner so you know, and it was this complete, you know, just tragedy in my life, to where I had to refigure out how to function even again. You know, and Reid, I think one of the big things, the reasons I like to share this with people, is I think sometimes you know people listen to us tell them about different things, and they, and they and they put us on a pedestal sometimes. You know how that goes, and and it's like you know people people have to understand we go through things too, and you know, and I started from this point. I went through a bankruptcy, went through. Personal tragedy, of losing my wife, to the point of raising a newborn baby, you know, for a couple of years on my own, try to figure out even how to function. Plus, had the business, so it, it was a lot. And I, I ended up remarrying uh, and moved uh, over to the Dayton area where I live now, to my uh, to my wife now, and uh, she had uh, kids, and we ended up, you know, bringing their kids together and have one together, and now we got the Brady Bunch going on. So, you know, and. But what happened then, Reed, I went to this big focus of, you know, after that, after I really got functioning, it took me almost about two years to that point. And then I really started rebuilding the whole real estate thing again. You know, I continued to have it going. And I'll tell you, what kept me going and supported me during that time was the properties that I had built up. Because you think about a lot of people that would lose their job for two years, they'd be financially ruined. So... So I had a, you know, I I was able to maintain things and keep, you know, things going for my family. But I ended up, you know, after two years, really started rebuilding and I started building this big, massive rehab machine up. And then I I got to this point where I built this huge thing up and I had multiple project managers working for me. And then, you know, you would think after all I've been through that I still wouldn't screw up. But guess what? I still, everybody makes mistakes, right? All the time. And that's how we grow. So I get this thing and I built this big machine up, this rehab machine. And then one day I realized, you know what? I hate this thing. I just hated it. Because it was it, it this big, All I built this big, I built this business that was all about me. Everything was me. I was making decisions on everything. I was making decisions on layouts. I was making decisions that I buy this property. What are the numbers? Everything was about me, marketing all that. And then I realized that I had to change something. What happened on this was I got to the point where one day I just was thinking about this and I said, I basically took a sheet of paper and I drew the line right down the center of this piece of paper. On one side I wrote real estate and the other side I wrote business. And I started thinking about this. So I said, you know, what I've noticed, not only, not only for myself, but a lot of people I know, they spend their whole life in the real estate game a lot of times being what I call a deal chaser. And that's all they do is they're just caught up into that game of things and it totally consumes them. And they really never get out of that trap. I said, how can I, instead of focusing on just being in real estate, how can I focus on the other side of the paper and how can I build a business, but more importantly, how can I build a company that allows me to be able to build things where I have the proper operating system proper processes, people in place where I can build this thing. And then real estate becomes nothing more than a product, just like any other business. And I can build this machine where I can turn around and remove myself from the day-to-day operation. Well, fast forward all these years later, that's when I've been able to do read. And I've built this thing up now where I have a lady that runs things for me. She's my COO. She's been with me for... 10 years now, and she runs the day-to-day operations. And it puts me in a position, I only spend an average about two to three hours a week actually in the real estate side of things, involved in that actively, you know, and it's more on a meeting basis from a high level. And they run the day-to-day and we still are averaging upwards of 18, 20 deals a month that we're bringing into the uh, system all the time we're still wholesale some. we're still buying and holding and we just continue to run that but it's become a production line and now i can truly operate this as a ceo of things and it's allowed me also to do something i have a big passion towards and that is helping others and training others to be able to change their lives and build this into a real business
0: Now back into the show. Well, th- thank you for sharing and being so vulnerable and all that. That it sounds like you've gone through incredible you know, loss of tragedy, and um, you know it's it's funny you mentioned uh, the Ronald McDonald House. I uh, so my younger sister, when I was 11 years old, she passed away from a brain tumor, and oh, we wow. spent we spent a bunch of time in the Ronald McDonald House, and it's it's they, they do oh, such it's great a work. And you know, just particularly around children's you know, hospitals and kids and families that need are in need of you know just shelter, right? You know, when they're going through a life-altering event like cancer, right? You can't ever predict when it's going to come. And um, for you know, also with you sharing tragedy on tragedy, don't, 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 it's not like to outdo one another, but it's just more to share back with you. Is yeah, uh, back in 2017, my mum actually passed away from uh, uterus cancer, and so mm. I yeah, you know, I. I, I I feel you, man, when when you go through these things and and it makes you, you know, it obviously makes you question stuff, makes you question life, but it also – you know, puts things into perspective that life is very short, and you know, what are you here to do? Is it are you here to work on the business or in the business, or are you here to sort of enjoy family and, and other pillars that you want you that you, know, you, you do enjoy? So, um, you know, tragedy is hard. It, you, you don't you don't ever move on from it. You just sort of someone told me you build life around it, right? It's always yes. going to be with you. You carry yes. it around with you, but you don't have to let it burden you. But you can. It's still it's still there, you know, and, and it always grounds you in a way that. People who haven't gone through it—it's it's just you know—it's hard to—it's it's hard to assimilate with those people who haven't gone through it. So,
1: Reed, from, 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 one, from from
0: one one mate back to another, I you know I you know tragedy is is a huge thing that uh, it's tough, but it's you know life is life, and you've got to be able to keep moving and keep you know not never forget them. But but um, so my condolences to you, my friend, and, oh. and you know I could I could only imagine how you know, incredibly painful that would have been, you know, back in the day. So, well, yeah. You. But with that being said, let's get into that meat and potatoes of what you are talking about before, you know, the working on the business, a lot of, and including myself, you know, I'm, I'm the CEO of my own company at RSN Property Group. We're in a real estate investment firm that you know buys multifamily product, but I've just started bringing on certain employees, CEO, COOs and stuff like that and head of acquisitions. And, um, yeah, you know, I've realized how much it's so important to go and invest in people, right, oh, and, to inv- in, and to invest in, you know, I've had, a couple, I've had some, some good sales, some deals recently, and you can go and hoard the money away, or you can go and reinvest in good talent to try and make the, the ship, you know, run. And it was funny, I was, I was interviewing Brandon Turner on this show a couple of, probably about a year ago now, and he was talking about the idea of a bicycle, right? You're on a bicycle, you get off that bicycle that bicycle doesn't go anywhere right and when it's just a one when you're a one man band or one gal band you're on a tricycle. I sorry, a, 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 a tandem. You might maybe be able to stop pedaling, but if you both get off, the, the bicycle doesn't do, doesn't do anything. And then you slowly build up the idea of getting into a, a car, and then from a car into a train, and then for a train into a you know a, a private jet. And and as that analogy grows, you, you you create more seats around you, and those seats are important. And who's in your job as this CEO is to try and. Put the the right bum in that right seat, and it's such a it's a literally like a game of chess to try and get the 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 balance just right. So, with that analogy, how much have you seen your business grow once you, now that you've started to take not necessarily a back seat, but just a different seat in the vehicle and letting go of the vine, so you can allow the business to flourish without you.
1: That's a great question, Reid. I know that. Well, as I mentioned, I guess that you're looking at things with my current COO, Ashley. She's been with me ten years, so everybody understands. On uh, she started as an assistant, mm-hmm. and you know, so a lot of times the people right underneath your nose are sometimes the best candidates. So you know, because she was set, uh, she was in a position to be really in every seat within the organization. So we groomed that side of things. But I think it was it was interesting when we moved her into that position. I was, you know. I was so scared about that, read. You know, it it freaked me out because, one, I was like the money side of things. But the other Mm -hmm. side, it's your baby, right? You're letting this go. But the interesting thing, the first year that we'd done that, we've seen an increase in revenues of over 40%. Wow. And I was like, holy cow. So what did that tell you? It it basically was very clear to me that guess who was the bottleneck, right? Mm -hmm. I was the bottleneck and really if you look at it all you guys listening to this remember where where's the bottleneck in any bottle at the top <laughs> so yeah. and that's the thing that i learned from that so it was it was a major lesson and i think that we have to look at when you when you talk about the people component it, you have to look at people in a way of it's an investment like you said I mean we invest in marketing but so many people are uh uh you know entrepreneurs are and afraid to invest in actual people, mm. but the thing that I want to I want everybody to know this and write this down if you're listening to this, that the right person costs you nothing. The right, right. person costs you nothing.
0: I completely agree with that. I completely agree with that. What do you? What advice? Or looking back on you mentioned the bottleneck. What did you learn from stepping aside? that might have been something that you were deficient in, in terms of your leadership roles or terms of parts of the business that you thought you had under control, but maybe you actually didn't?
1: I think one of the big things I learned was, first of all, that my mind worked totally different than a lot of other people on my team, the mm. way I, my my mind would work. Because I had to start finding out that my mind worked more as the, what we look at is more the visionary. Yep. I was looking at the bigger picture on things, Reed, and I was thinking on that. But, but the problem was I would try to communicate that bigger picture to my team, and I didn't know how to do it properly. Because what I would do is I would look at, you know, here I am at A, and I would go from A to Z and skip all the parts in between. <laughs> <laughs> so I Classic, just say, uh, classic
0: but, entrepreneur role. Yeah, right? you're, yeah. you're already there mentally. It's like, why does exactly. everyone else keep up?
1: And I was doing that and I thought, why is the team struggling with this? Where I would go, you know, a lot of times read, I would go to a training and I would pick up all the stuff and I'd listen to things for three days and i come back to my team, i call them all together and i do this major data dump like in 30 minutes or 60 minutes on them. And I go, go implement it. And they would, when I found out later, they're like scratching their head to go, we're still trying to implement what you did last time on this. <laughs> so, you know, the last data don't. So the big thing I realized is my mind works totally different. And I realized that out of that, there was nothing wrong with that. That's just the way I work. But I what I realized is that where I was, where I really struggled... Was taking and connecting all the dots, and you know, I, I could do it in my mind. I could lay out, I could train, show people doing that, but actually implementing that was the big thing. Mm. So that integration, that's what I was missing. And I thought, well, what if we look at somebody coming in to be that integrator, and that's what changed the game right there
0: it sounds like you're using very similar language to the book that i love and it's two two copies are sitting up you know reach for it right now if people are watching on youtube uh EO, <laughs> traction yes. eos so yes. i actually just had a uh one of my first ever days uh with some we've got some new team members and really i've grown in the last two years and actually have team members these days brought them out here to la for a big they're all remote but brought them out out here and did a massive implementation session and Assigning rocks, and if you don't know what rocks are, for those listeners out there, go grab your get your hands on one on the book of vos and understand what a rock is. But what a rock essentially does is break down into achievable chunks that you can assign people on your team to get to that big audacious goal. You've got to bring it down into these rocks and do it in quarterly bases to then have folks essentially target right and no you can't have really any more than one to three rocks because you don't want to bombard people and to your point of like having your minds running at a million miles an hour it can pick up the accounting you can pick up the marketing you can pick up the acquisitions you can pick up the construction and like boom 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 what do you, you already know where it needs to be but for the folks who are sort of running the day-to-day it needs to be broken down into its chunks into consumable pieces so they so people can keep going towards you know essentially a rock or a target and then you reevaluate those rocks and targets every year or every six months and give them you can give people new ones once they achieve that so it's very important it's a really interesting technique in something that i know you and i haven't come up with that idea it's not it's not it's not you know it's not a it's not rocket science, but when you when you are running it at, at, at a million miles an hour in terms of, you know, as, as we are the visionaries of our own businesses, it's trying to slow down, take a breath, and then yeah. break it into its chunks so other people can consume it. Because I, I do remember the, my first ever time I had a VA, a virtual assistant, which I'm sure you have in your business as well. And I remember thinking to myself, I gave them a task, right? And he failed at that task. And I said, why the, you know, I got frustrated. Why the hell did he fail at this task? You know, what the, what the hell? Why does he know, what does he, he know? And it came down to my explanation of the task. And that's okay. when I implemented Loom and videos. And I, I find Loom, if you don't know what Loom is, check it out. It's a great screen sharing way of v- video recording what you need done in like you know, five to 10 minutes. And once I became clear with my instructions and I, it was a reflection on me as the, the leader, it then became easy to communicate and in a way in which to communicate to so my people are below me, and in the early infancy I had VAs. Now I don't have VAs, but or I do have some, but it's grown into you know, chief of investment officers and assistants. But it's the way in which you communicate to get across the point in an effect, in effective way, which I think you mentioned before was one of the things I wrote down here. It was, it was visionary in communication, and, and it was a communication piece that it seemed like you struggled with, but I also had gone through that same journey and realize it was a reflection on me, not necessarily a reflection on the person Absolutely. doing the task.
1: Yeah. I think it's so important. It's funny on that because, you know, Reed. I remember at one time, and this was uh, years ago, we thought, okay, we got this dialed in, and we hired a, a lady to come in. and actually it was, uh, she actually coached the coaches for uh, Tony Robbins. Mm-hmm. She came in and worked with us, and she went through the whole company and interviewed everybody individually. And she came back, and when she reviewed everything in a summary she said well the number one thing was they still feel there's a lack of clarity i thought oh my god are you kidding me and i was blown away on that so what i realized as your as your point it's so important to create that clarity for them to make sure they really understand us because you know i, I it's the thing is is we come in and you know and, and one of the things we do now that we're really big on is we actually do a a, a two day systems and operations training Rain right here in our office in Ohio, we have investors from all around the country come in and we show them exactly how to build their, take their real estate business and build it into a real company and learn all the things we've done in our different departments. But what I started learning on that was, you know, I, and I started looking at this, I said, you know, really? I mean, if you think about this, this it's like a, a overall, it's like an assembly line, okay? And we look at that and we start understanding that, Along the assembly line, there's stations along those assembly lines. What's it's and you think about it, if you're manufacturing vehicles and you run along the assembly line, you know we have the same thing happen within our real estate business, whether we're buying to hold, fix and flip, whatever it is. And we have to make sure all those stations are manned properly. We have to make sure everybody has clarity on those stations, because if not, you know they can put the wrong part on or something like that. And, and then we get a completely, you know, really inferior product at the end. Well, we can do the same thing in our business so easily. And that's where so many people struggle in this. So I really look at this as this overall assembly line approach. How can we create that type of environment, but doing it through real estate? And by doing that, the cool thing about it is we realize that you can dial this up or dial it down. Whatever you want to do, you can, can take it to that level but it's understanding that this truly is a business and you've got to get that mindset right out the gate and the sooner you can get that the sooner you're going to be able to scale this and it just it, it'll change your world it it'll, it'll completely change everything as you know yourself too reed as you're adding more and more of this to your business currently
0: yeah no one of the things that i think is tangible at it i forgot who who mentioned this but they talk um i do this every year i try and do this chart um so there's, there's, it's a combination. I'm going to talk about two things. One's called 24 Assets by Dan Priestley. It's a book. If you haven't read it, please read it. It's no matter what the business is, it, 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 it takes stock of the assets you have in the business, everything from contracts to systems to documentation. And it just go, makes you, you know, stop and realize what, 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 what you have in the business today and what you need to work on, right? The other thing, I, I, I and I didn't make this up myself, but I, I copied it from someone. I forget who I copied it from. And it's essentially, it's, a, it's, a, it's an X, X and Y axis. And I don't know if you've ever done this, Jerry. X being, uh, the, the, sorry, the Y axis being um, moves the needle in the business and the, the X axis meaning enjoyment, personally wise, mm-hmm. right? And what you end up doing is create four quadrants. So the top, think of a think of a graph, like the top right-hand corner is black time, right? High, high moves the business in a, in, a, in a big way, but you also personally enjoy it. Closer to the x-axis, uh, to the y-axis is it moves the business, but you least enjoy it, right? And we call that the blue time. And I would, you know, put that the assembly line in that sort of box, right? Below, like right, right near the x, the lowest, you know, use of your time where it's you don't like it and it doesn't move the business a lot. It might be some administration stuff. Maybe it's accounting is important, but it's not necessarily, you might not love to do it. So, and then you've got that's red time. And then you've got the green time, which maybe necessarily won't move the business a lot, but it really high in personal enjoyment. So things that I like to do, surfing, right? Going, exercising, meditating. That helps me as a leader. It may not necessarily move the business. Well, it will, but it also helps me have, have the right mindset. So there's black time, blue time, red time, green time. I don't know if you do anything like that, but what I what I found from doing that exercise is actually you're then creating roles and responsibilities and potentially positions. In each of those boxes and quadrants, because particularly in the blue and the red time, because there there may not be low value in as a visionary that you may necessarily like. Hey, I don't like this part of the business. I, I need to go and identify that and then go and hire someone for it. Any any thoughts or comments
1: on that? Oh, I love that. I, I've I've heard of that. I've uh, I haven't applied that, but I use some similar techniques to that. But I love that side of things. I think right. that's vitally important, and we we look at. You know, something else that's really helped us a lot too is, and, and some of you uh, looking at this, and maybe you're in the position where you're just starting to grow your business. I, I always look at, I kind of break it down to like four pillars. And I and I keep it real simple when it comes to this. Number one, I look at, the first pillar, I look at a revenue goal for your business. Because a lot of people say, well, I can't, you know, I, I want to do this for charity. I want to do this nonprofit. And I regardless you got to have money to operate <laughs> so, so you know we all know that so number one understand your revenue goal number two take some time the second pillar that is on this is to reverse engineer that number what does that really look like because you see a lot of things you know read. we've both been around this a while where people go out there and they'll say hey I, you know you can make you know, a million dollars a year, whatever in real estate, and but but how do you really do that? How do you really get there, right? And I think that's such a missing gap a lot of times. So one of the things we do with a lot of our students is do that. We go through and we actually show them these four pillars, and we make them do it. And then we say, okay, now let's reverse engineer that. How do we really get there? What does that KPI look like? What is you know what what you know what is the actions that we're going to have to take to receive this particular result? And we designed something, too, that that actually, I learned this from a friend of mine, took a company to over $300 million a year in revenue. It It wasn't in real estate, it was outside real estate. But one thing he designed was what we call success formulas for every single team member. And every single team member understood exactly what their numbers were, but more importantly, how it affected everybody else's numbers and the overall target for the company. So very important to understand that. So we created a one-page success formula worksheet that we use, and all our team members use this, and I, and I have my students do this too. So that's the second pillar. Then we look at the third pillar, which has been uh, pretty cool to watch. A lot of people you know, re- never really think about this is we make them all lay out an accountability chart, even if it's a position where some of them come in, and they go, oh, I'm a solopreneur, I am just do everything. But when's the last time you really looked at what all you're doing? What, you know, what are you really doing? Because you, you know how it is. We, we all get in the routine and we're doing all this. And then we're running so quick on the hamster wheel, we don't get a chance to look at this stuff. So we lay it all out on the accountability chart. and Then we start realizing, kind of like we're looking at so well, I don't really like doing this, right? Kind of the blues, the reds and all that. And we start laying that out. And then it becomes really clear to them. So that's the third pillar that we lay out. And then the fourth pillar is we actually implement tracking slash KPIs in place. And what we've noticed when people do this and we hold them to this, it literally we can take somebody's company and completely transform it where, you know, it's like I've had a lot of students that I work with. We work with them over like a 12 month period of time and we'll take them where they're a solopreneur And uh, we had some guys out of Canada, went from solopreneur, and by the end of 12 months, they were at 12 uh, employees and approaching $4 million in revenue. And and it's all about understanding that if you build this right, we can build a production process that creates repeatable, you know, we do repeatable actions and it creates repeatable results and we can know we can scale that. And so... That's one of the things we look at is that four pillars. Everybody to get clear on that, because then we can identify what's going on. And then, you know, now we got, if you think about it, we've got the data component. We've got, you know, true targets. We understand how to get to those targets. And we understand what the team looks like, even if you're a solopreneur. And we start understanding what are the things we need to take off your plate? The ones you hate to do, right? Or you're not good at.
0: No, it's it, that's exactly right, and I love how you have come to the point where you've broken down into the four pillars, and it's very similar to the, the Gantt chart that I was looking at. But but I, I think a lot of people would would benefit from maybe telling um, where people could go to to find out more about some of the trainings that you you, you offer.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Reed. So one of the best places to go, guys, is just uh, one. Just go to my website. It's uh, thejerrygreen.com, dot com. Okay, real simple. thejerrygreen.com. dot You can go there check out my website. I have uh, events going on. Like I say, we got one coming up in April and we do about four or five of those a year that are in our office. It's a two-day, what we call real estate systems and operations training. And it doesn't matter if you're fixing, flipping, buying, holding. Uh, we've had people from doing land to multifamily, everything. And we come in and we we have a lot of times uh, COOs come in or people that are wanting to build teams. And we, we show them how we've Created a real business system with the real estate side. And also, you guys can follow me on uh, social media. You know, it's uh, just look up Jerry Green out of um, um, Dayton, Ohio area, Germantown, Ohio, and look at that. we on Instagram at uh, the Jerry Green. So, pretty simple. It. Love, yeah. it,
0: love it, my friend. Look, I could talk to you for hours about this because it's something that as, an, as a former engineer, like my, my mind goes to breaking things apart <laughs> and, and, then, and then putting it back together again. Um, but at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it, man. Mate, question number one is, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
1: Ooh, daily habit. Of, uh, let's see. Okay, so it's supposed to be a lightning round. So <laughs> I, I, I would say the biggest thing uh, that really helps me
0: is actually meditation. Mm. Yep. I would 100% agree with that. Meditation is completely – it allows you to slow down at the beginning of the day before you turn on your phone, yep. before you turn on the emails and have other people's problems bombard you. You can just take a little bit of a moment to – it takes time and patience and 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 practice to get it well, to get it to the point where you, you're you doing it. But I notice that I don't know if you're the same way. If I don't do it of a morning, my day's off. Like yeah, it's something it is about. Off. Yeah, it just calms
1: me down. And I always, there's a great book tied in with, I've studied on that called Slowing Down to the Speed of Life. Mm. So
0: awesome. Awesome stuff. All right. Well, question number two is Who's been the most influential person in your career to date?
1: I would say Robert Allen. Robert Allen. Gotcha.
0: Question number three is In your business, what's the most influential tool? Now, when I say tool, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without what is it
1: tool wise i would say that uh, i would look at our dashboard on our crm what what crm do you use uh we just we just use um uh, podio that's all we we customize it and we use it that way and but what i look off of is i i I look at everything on the dashboard read it's all about the dashboard
0: All about the dashboard, all about, you know, driving that car, driving that airplane, driving that train, you know, as we mentioned before, so getting into that dashboard. Uh, Question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure?
1: Well, biggest failure. I think one of the biggest failures that I look at to this date was not in the beginning stages of not knowing my numbers not knowing my numbers and it's come to the point read where now i have daily kpis that are provided for me so it's understanding those numbers and how they really affect your business because it cost me probably close to about two million dollars mistakes on that
0: yeah if you're what's the saying if you don't tracking it if you if you know, if it ain't measured, you can't track it. And if you can't track it, you don't know the performance of how the business is going. So I completely 100%. love that. Last question, mate. You've already said this, but where can people reach you to continue the conversation that would be in your sphere? Where do they go? Just remind the listeners again.
1: Yeah. So, the guys, number one, you can reach me at jerrygreen.com. Okay? Just read through my website there. You can find about events. And if you want to reach out to me, just reach out to me on social media. Um, you can follow me on Jerry Green on Facebook. uh in the Dayton, Ohio area. It's, uh Usually I pop right up or on Instagram at the Jerry Green. I'd be glad to answer any questions, help you out any way I can.
0: Awesome stuff, my friend. Look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect a few things I took away from today's show. First and foremost, thank you for being so vulnerable with the loss early in your life. And as we mentioned earlier, like people have gone through tragedy and it's it helped shape the way in the humans that they are today and obviously losing significant others in their life is you know, you don't wish that upon anyone, um, but but it but it is a challenge that life does throw at us, and we have to, you know, speak about it, but also acknowledge that it, that that we, how you work through it in those times of grief, and, and and we spoke we spoke about building, you know, your life around that you don't ever lose the tragedy, you don't ever lose the grief, you just build the life around it. So thank you for very much for for just being vulnerable. Um, the the other thing I really took away from today's show is obviously. The the visionary and, and, and setting up your four pillars, the revenue goal, the success formulas, the accountability chart, and then the tracking of the KPIs. I think it's extremely important for a lot of people to understand as they build businesses, as they listen to this show, to be a business owner. Doesn't mean you need to be in the business and running it from day to day and being the bottleneck. It's about setting up these systems and stepping back to understand to allow the business to move forward. And I think you you realize that with 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 that lady who who joined you you know ten years ago as an assistant. She, we worked her way up. So again, thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Did I leave anything out there,
1: that No, I, I just I appreciate uh, the time to be able to share. And I uh, just you know the main thing I will share with any viewers is. Look, guys, the only way that you're going to make a difference on this is I, I think the key thing is, one, awareness, and then the second thing is to take massive action on this. That's the only way it's going to change. It's not going to change any other way because you've yep. got to take the massive action and you just got to accept it where you're at. And if you want to uh, make this into a real company, you can take it to any level you want.
0: I completely agree. Well, look, mate, thank you again so much for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll chat very, very soon.
1: Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it.
0: Well, there you have it. Now, the cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jerry. If you are interested to learn more about him, head over to thejerrygreen.com or follow him on Instagram or Facebook, all over social media. He's got a lot of cracking tools and advice and training tips that you can use in your everyday business to get yourself out of that business, right? Because that's what we're all about here. We're not trying to create ourselves another job. We're trying to actually grow a sustainable business that's going to be around, even if we're here or not. So I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. Easiest way to give back to this show, if you do like the show, is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. And we're going to do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.